GM friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner, brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nico Vreke, and today I'm joined by Vijay Sundaram. He's a co-founder and CEO at Luda, who are the creators of Neo Ferries. Our goal today is to talk about Luda, um, how it approaches Web3 technology, um, and also to talk a bit about some of the mistakes or you know, some of the learnings we can take from what we see happening within the blockchain industry today. So first question, Vijay, who are you? And could you tell us a bit more about Luda as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, me, uh, engineer at heart, uh, been a designer, engineer in Silicon Valley uh, for my whole career, more or less. Uh, spent a bit of time at big companies, spent some time at small companies, starting my own, um, with a little bit of time in venture capital as well. Poor and <laughs> yeah, it's funny, actually, in, uh, in other in other contexts, uh, I talk about it as like a regrettable stint in venture capital, but that's really not fair. It's very, very illuminating. In fact, I, I, it, when I really tell my story, venture capital is where I discovered my own sense of purpose, funny cool. enough. And, and I think it's actually very natural because venture capital is a role where you're kind of offering founders money, right? And so uh, you have to find some other value prop to differentiate yourself from every mm -hmm. other person offering someone money. And it puts you into a much deeper soul searching mode, I think, than when you're a technology professional where skills are differentiated and you know kind of what you do and you're good at it, but you really have to stare yourself in the face and ask, what am I bringing to this founder mm. that they're gonna take my dollar versus the other? And so no no joke, you know, I, I, like I said, I make this regrettable joke, but actually, in fact, like a lot of my personal purpose um, and kind of where I ended up going in my own career was figuring out that what I loved, I've always loved deep technology and how you can create impact with new technologies. But uh, the idea that you could use deep technologies for play, that was a thing that fully came, uh, you know, kind of into my view when I was in venture capital and it very much kind of steered my entire life after that. So once I left venture capital, uh, I spent some time uh, doing some angel investing and also tinkering and, and ultimately ended up um, at Google where uh, I ended up working on an R&D program, started an R&D program for interactive entertainment. And the entire premise was how do you use all these magical new technologies like machine learning and uh, AI and uh, what's around the corner, but using it for play and using it for storytelling and using it for uh, kind of creating these moments of playfulness and joy for people. And so that was where um, I spent about three years working on a bunch of different uh, new technologies, new concepts, and um, the ideas that you know we're going to talk about today kind of came from from there. So I can go more into that, but that that kind of takes you to to kind of where I am now, almost. <clears throat> Great. And so, after working on or researching how new technologies can be used to build new interactive experiences, you then decided to found Luda. Yeah, yeah. So the the segue, I guess, from from my time at Google to Luda is. Uh, is you know at Google, the thing we all ultimately got most excited about, as we spent a bunch of time looking at different different categories in entertainment, different um, mechanics for gameplay, different types of storytelling tools, we got really excited by and very inspired by um, this sandbox game genre or open world genre, things like Minecraft and Roblox, and um, the idea that you can create these types of open ended. Uh, creative worlds that players can contribute to and fans could be part of, right? Not just consuming. 
but we could use machine learning as a creative superpower that these players have. So instead of just having uh, a basic mechanic like being able to get blocks and build structures, um, you have the ability to actually uh, create pretty powerful things with generative models. Uh, and you can see this now a lot with things like mid-journey and stable diffusion, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are super excited about what you could do to kind of, kind of close the gap between a player's creativity and the kind of fidelity of outputs they can create. Yeah. Um, you can see the same type of thing happening, although it's a little bit more out of view for animating. So actually animating puppeteering characters, right? This is also something that is increasingly possible using machine learning because we can map skeletal forms and put them onto the structure. So that whole idea that we can create creative tools with machine learning that then become kind of the building blocks for these sandbox games, right? The next gen Minecraft and Robloxes. That was what the time at Google was spent kind of honing in on and just kind of having our minds blown about and being super excited about this because now it's about empowering players, not just to create in the game worlds and the story world, but with these tools that make them feel like they're superpowers, right? Um, and that that was kind of the, the jump off point a year and a half ago when we started to see what was happening with NFTs and DAOs and um, both Shannon and I, my co-founder, um, have been part of crypto and been following crypto for years. But the idea that now you could use things like NFTs to represent the things players create in games, and you could have DAOs be mechanisms by which a community collectively owns something, kind of set off the light bulb that we can now just make, not just make games where players create the worlds with these tools, but they own them too. And that was kind of the, you know, the, the set off point for us to say, okay, this is not something that's going to happen at a you know, at a big company, it's not going to happen at a tech company. Um, and it might not even happen at a game company, right? You really kind of have to rethink all of these systems from the ground up. And so that's kind of what, what kicked off Luda. Okay. So you are essentially using the blockchain as a mechanism to distribute ownership and value accrual to everyone that actually added value to any digital experience and this could be an asset but this could be yeah. way more in the whole game yeah yeah so I, if, if i kind of fill out the picture a bit more i mean when we think about so if i step back luda itself as a company um thinks about this idea of putting people at the center of entertainment right and we, we talk about it that way because putting people at the center of entertainment means a couple of things it means that they're in the center of entertainment socially you know right they can see themselves in the stories that we're telling they can be part of it creatively they can actually contribute to it directly with the tools they have and economically, which is the creations they contribute, they own, and they have a say in the future of where these things go. Um, and so, yes, then if I translate that to uh, kind of the interpretation of what we're doing, we're creating new kinds of entertainment properties, right? New kinds of story worlds and new types of sandbox games. But in those story worlds and sandbox games, you, the player, or you, the fan, gets to create the characters of those worlds, get to create the settings and the locations. And you creating those locations and those settings and those characters also means you own those as NFTs. So you're not buying NFTs from us in a marketplace to be able to play the game. You create things in the game and in the world like you would in any other UGC sandbox game or story world. But now you just own those as NFTs. NFTs are almost in the sense of tool or a technical mechanic to ensure you as a player actually own the thing you created, as opposed to what's, you know, we'll get this later as a fundraising tool, which is not actually what 
you know, it, it, so an NFT can be a lot of things. And I think right now we think about it that way. But in our context, it's you're already going to the story world because you love the story world, right? You're coming to the sandbox game because you love playing this with your friends. You're creating things in those worlds and you're sharing them with each other. And it just seems like a basic right that you should own those. And those can be yours to do what you want with. And, uh, and so that's where the blockchain kind of as a tool on the back end for helping people have ownership and rights over the thing they created and then the ability to use that in a collective form of some kind, right? You, me, hundreds of thousands of the people make a new game successful because we come there and we build stuff in this game world. We all should have a say, at least a small say, in where that game goes, right? And that's where the DAO mechanisms and on-chain voting and governance and using the NFTs you created to participate in votes is kind of the other part of this equation, which is not everyone's going to want to do that, but people should have the ability to do that if they want, right? As opposed to being kind of on the outside of a Twitter handle, trying to, you know, make sure they're heard to the creators making the project that they're part of. So I think when you talk about having people create things within games, everyone probably immediately thinks about Roblox. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I would... If I, I'm trying to understand what you say, right? If yeah. I would translate this, this into Roblox terms, what you're yeah. saying is, I am a creator. I create, maybe maybe it's a bad example, right? But um, a very cool looking car yeah. in Roblox. Yeah. Any experience can actually start using that car mm -hmm. in their in in their game, and then you know I own that car as an NFT. So you know anytime there's any monetization thanks to that car, yeah. I can get a tiny part of that monetization. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's let me. Um... No, I love I love this analogy. Yeah, so let's take take Roblox, right? You come to Roblox, you create a an experience. Actually, this is one of the neat things about Roblox, just to 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 kind of appreciate what they've done. People can think about them as games, like it's a platform for making games. But actually, a lot of what people are making are things like, uh, I had a dream last night and it was really weird. And so they create their dream and they invite their friends to come experience their dream. That is so cool, and that is not that is not a capital G game. Right, that's it's hard to even call that a game. And I think we talk about metaverse in these like broad hand wavy terms, which is another thing that we can we should you know we can go <laughs> we should we should go into that if we want. But but when you get down to it, you know, I shared a space I made that's a dream I had, and you can come into it and enjoy it. I mean, that's that's beautiful, right? And that is actually what makes UGC so special is that it's not it's not that kind of heavy. I got to make a game. Right. So then what we're saying is, <clears throat> for an analogy, you know, Roblox 3.0, Roblox for Web3 is I come to Roblox, I create this little scene of a dream I had. <clears throat> that is an NFT that I own. And then that NFT that I own makes me part of the Roblox DAO. And then when Roblox decides that they might want to charge more like 70%, of profits as opposed to, you know, 83%, I get to have a vote saying, yeah, that's a great idea, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's, so now the NFTs representing the things you've created and contributed to the Roblox world give you kind of a voice and say in how Roblox as a project is governed and, and managed. And that's not to say that everyone who contributes to Roblox should dictate the future of Roblox. Like there's a lot of people investing in building Roblox that should have a big say, but it's a, it's a step towards more involvement of the community in the actual um, enterprise of this project called Roblox, as opposed to, you know, <clears throat> no connection at all economically or governance wise. Yes, yes. Um, it is, yeah. it is the Web3 thinking about 
given stakeholders an actual stake in the whole ecosystem right. and giving them more more power and, yep. and then also more a sense of ownership. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'll say, um, I'll say one I'll say one other thing about this because I think we're going to get to it later too. Most people who create something in these worlds, the NFT that we just talked about of the dream I had, it might never be worth anything to anybody. Right? Default value is zero. Mm-hmm. Now, to me personally, I don't care. I didn't make my dream in Roblox because I wanted to make myself rich off of it. I made it because it mattered to me. Right? And so I think one of the things that's always fun to talk about in the model that we're pursuing is that's okay. Most of these are going to be worth zero. Right? Mm-hmm. Most content on the internet is not worth anything. Mm-hmm. But one, for the people who create it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't give them ownership of it and shouldn't give them access and rights to do what they want with it. And two, every now and then something you create does become valuable, right? Every now and then, you know, that dream that you had that, uh, you know, you share with a few friends strikes a chord, right? It goes viral. There's a cultural moment. And now maybe that thing you made is a piece of art that you can sell, right? And now you, the creator of that thing, directly control how you benefit from it. And in that resulting transaction of, you know, selling it, trading it, whatever it is that you might do with it, it's your choice. Um, and then the platform benefits, but it's flipped around, right? So you choose in a way to give back to the platform to help you create economic success as opposed to, you know, you pay forward and hope you make money later or you create success for you know, the, the project, and then maybe the project turns on monetization and gives you a cut of it. Um, and so that's the that's the inversion there, but it's, people can get tripped up a little bit on like, well, okay, most of these are be worthless. And it's like, okay, what's the problem with that? Yeah. Personal meaning does not mean economically worthless, does not mean lack of personal meaning, right? Yes. It's interesting how 99.9% of the NFTs in existence today in value will all converge to zero, but we're still like really thinking about NFTs as financial assets um, that have like that are supposed to be worth something. Um, <clears throat> interesting how uh, how paradoxical that is. Well, I mean that's the thing, right? You start you start. Uh, and this is a little bit of a Web three crypto phenomena, right? As things start with having financial economic value, and then you know meanings may follow from that sometimes. Now, I actually I don't feel that way about Bitcoin. Honestly, and 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 in other projects, I don't actually think that's a bad thing for the use case. But I think NFTs kind of um, they complicate this a little bit, right? I think NFTs as art also makes sense, right? Because it's inherently there's something of value, and that's why it's there, and people can appreciate it and put a price mm-hmm. on it. But I think as it's kind of slid from uh, that to like an element in a game, you know, or an asset in a game, like the the thinking for all the other things kind of has to probably adjust with that too. And that's, yeah, it's path, path dependency. You know, you kind of have to work from where the world is to where you want to go. 100%. So you allow people to create things mm-hmm. and truly own them. And then the fact that there's potential for them to actually earn something with that is is absolutely secondary um, and is, you know, it, it, it's definitely not the purpose. Um how does attribution work in, in, in your vision and what you're building? So it, just just to, to give you one question, right? One person builds like a massive, like an MMO world, right? Yeah, Where they, yeah. And then another person 
um, builds a tiny cupboard that they dreamed about. Um, mm -hmm. How does attribution work there? What do you mean by attribution? So, you know, you, you said that both of these people will gain some ownership of mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. whole Repo node that you described. Right, right, um, right, right, right. You know, one, like the, the, yeah. added, like the value that both people add is yeah. different. Yeah. So how does yeah. that work? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think I have an answer for that yet because it is, it is kind of like the, the next logical problem to solve. Um, there's a lot of soft dynamics, you know, but just to cut to the heart of it, like the hard dynamics are hard to figure out. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll riff on this, you know, and I'd be curious if you got your own take on it, but in the soft, soft, yeah. So, so just to kind of spell this out from, from foundations. Yes. The idea that you come into this world, you create a character. We'll talk about our first project, but you're creating a character in a story world. That story world doesn't have kind of its cast yet, right? And we don't know yet which of those characters or which of that cast is going to be like the phenomenal character that everyone wants to follow. No. So to your analogy, one person shows up, creates, you know, the Black Widow or the Black Panther of this story world. And another person comes in and creates, you know, the character that no book or uh, the character in the world that no comic book or no movie has been made about yet. Right. Yep. And so now both of those folks have an NFT of that character. They both, for now, are a single vote in the DAO for Neo Fairies. Uh, and now it's like, well, is that really fair? You know, it's like, should, and so I think part of this question is, part of this question is um, <laughs> kind of like resurfacing all of the, all of like the learning about politics that it feels like we're doing in this ecosystem that we've done mm -hmm. over like, you know, mm -hmm. centuries as humankind, because, well, you know, voting in the government also works this way. Like no one gives you more votes because you might've made more of an impact on, you know, the tax, the tax, uh, the tax revenue for the country. It's one human, one vote. Right. Um, and then you can go to the other end spectrum, which is we could try to measure that impact in some other way and then to accrue, you know, some sort of voting power to that. So, you know, it could be that, if you're able to tell on chain that, you know, whatever metric you're optimizing for, if it's time spent or the number of the amount of love people have for a thing, you know, if people heart the thing you contributed, then maybe that gives your voting power, uh, you know, boost so that you have your NFT, but that NFT is associated with a certain amount of engagement and contribution. And then you've got, you know, voting power to accrues relative to the impact you've had. Um, Super complicated though, right? I mean, the, the mechanics feel like we'll figure that out, like how to implement it on chain, how do you yeah. track like it? But it's the harder human question of like, what's the right way to govern these kinds of things? And do you, you know, does every player have voice? Do they not? Um, another part of this complexity is the Sybil attack and Sybil mm -hmm. resistance problem, because, you know, it's one thing if I actually came in and I poured my blood, sweat and tears into a character that no one ever cares about but me, yeah. right? And in a way, like, I think I'd say philosophically just now, just hot takes, that person and the person who creates, like, the next, you know, uh, epic character maybe should get the same say because mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're part of the system. They've done the same work. And the outcome, like, you know, the benefit of having the, uh, the hero that everyone loves is that's going to have relative value compared to mine. So we don't necessarily need governance to also mirror the economic value of yeah. what you created. But the hard part, you know, sans like a good uh, Sybil attack resistance botting situation is, yeah, you create a scenario where 
someone comes in, they don't care. They just hit a bunch of buttons or at worst, they have a bot come in and get, you know, 10,000 of these things, 100,000 of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the part that keeps me up at night mm-hmm. a bit more, you know, and it's, it is, it is made much harder in an ecosystem where even our values are aligned about, uh, privacy and security and not forcing everyone to dox themselves, not making everyone go through KYC to contribute yeah. to a UGC project. So that part's the hardest. And we've, we've got some very crude tools we've started to experiment with to, to do that, but it's, yeah, uh, that, so I think some of these things kind of have to fit together before you're going to have a great answer to that problem. Because if you can trust that the person you're talking to is a human and they're not, you know, tons of bots and you can kind of measure the effort they put in and we can get a sense for like, um, kind of the texture of this project. Like, is it going to be like 10 people who make amazing things? Or is it going to be, you know, is a, is a 0.1% that's going to drive a lot of the impact? Or is it going to be 20%? Um, all of those factors, you, just, you know, you, just, you don't, you don't pretend to like know all those things going in, or at least you shouldn't um, and mm-hmm. take it kind of one day at a time. Man, our life in Web3 would be so much easier if we had a proof of humanity that didn't necessarily reveal who exactly you were. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. It's, it's, so I'll tell you the closest thing that, that kind of shows up, which is very unsatisfying is, um, is when a platform that you already don't bother trying to hide from can be an intermediary. And that's, that's basically what I think different projects are trying to be. So different projects are trying to become this, but right now, for example, discord is kind of solving this problem for us today. Right, because we do want to make the earliest parts of this community as secure and scam-free and um, uniquely individual users as possible. Right, because mm-hmm. uh, in our project right now, you can create locations in the world where fairies are going to return, but we don't want someone coming in and getting every location around the world and just sitting on it. Right, so we have to do this filtering process, but we don't want to KYC people. We don't even want to ask for people's. Uh, Personal info. In fact, it's amazing. I can't believe how many projects in the ecosystem ask for phone numbers or ask mm. for email addresses. I'm shocked. And there's, there was one that was actually asking for me to enter a phone number to register to become part of the community. And I was like, what? I can't, this happens? Like people <laughs> let this happen? So, so, but that said, so we're trying to stay away from that. Um, but we're kind of doing our own version of that, that bad behavior, which is we're forcing you to go to Discord. And we're setting the security setting of Discord to the highest level, which means you have to actually connect your phone number or verify your phone number with Discord. Mm. But the nice thing is you're verifying it with Discord, which you might have already done for all these other projects. And so, you know, there's this intermediary trust enters the equation again. But you're kind of like, well, you know, are people not going to use Discord anytime soon? Uh, you know, in this ecosystem? Probably not. So it feels like less of an ask for people to, yeah. to do that with a third party and not us. That said, I've, I've already had, uh, you know, like really thoughtful, ideal community members basically opt out because they're, they don't want Discord to have their, mm. their phone number. So yeah, I think you've got these stand-ins, which are almost like Web2 stand-ins because that's the world everyone's kind of been dominated by. And then they become like this intermediary where we don't need to see as a small project your personal info. Um, but but I think over time someone's going to have that critical mass as a Web three project that we can trust with, you know, using a bunch of this, the really cool privacy preserving techniques that are yeah. that are coming out, 
and then that'll become it. But you're just waiting for that. Uh, you're waiting for that critical mass winner take all moment where everyone's just like, okay, that's the that's the de facto. Like you said, a human, verified human, uh, but you don't know who it is, and yeah, yeah. So, could you um, maybe quickly more like be more specific around Neo Fairies, your first yeah. project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that? Uh, we've been talking in high level, and totally, I'm, totally. I'm bad in, in thinking like high level. I want to, I want to understand exactly what's yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, so, so, Neo Fairies is our, uh, it's our first project. And think about it as an experiment in decentralized entertainment, right? The idea is if you truly wanted to create the kind of projects we we're talking about, um, what are all the things you'd have to do? And, um, and how do you build something world-changing in the process, right? So not just treating it as like a weekend hackathon, but it's, a, it's something we believe in deeply as a team, creatively and technically. So um, you know, one way to start talking about this is think about it as like a, it's an entertainment franchise. That's what we're building. And the aspiration, the ambition, like long-term ambition ends up being to be a generational iconic franchise, like a lot of other entertainment IPs and intellectual properties, you know, of, um, it has extensions in fashion and movies and games and film. And uh, so all these possibilities, but the key thing with this is how do you do this with a community is part of it from the very beginning. And it's not just part of it, but at the center, right? So, so because we all know what happens when you create a franchise that's world-changing, but how do you do that in a way where the, the communities be part of it from the beginning at the core, and how do you step towards it, um, you know, instead of spending five, 10 years building, investing in a franchise, and then eventually having fans starting from zero and bringing your community along? Okay, so for us, the formula for Neo Fairies, and it kind of steps through what the project is pretty tangibly, is kind of four parts. The first part, and this is the starting point for all of us, is make a story, make a world that anyone and everyone can see themselves in. Most important thing, right? People of all sizes, shapes, colors, places ought to see themselves in the stories and the characters that we're going to bring forward. And so Neo Fairies as a fiction uh, is much better felt than heard, you know? So if anyone's actually curious, Go to neofairies.com and check out, you know, the content because it's much better seen than, than heard. But as a fiction, the idea is that fairies are real. They're in the world all around us. They've just been in hiding. And they've been in hiding because humans have chased them away centuries ago. But a new generation of fairies is now here. And like all generations, one comes around that's done with tradition and wants to break all the rules. And this generation of fairies is done hiding. And what's going to happen is they're going to start to reappear in the world around us. And the world they're in is our world. It's the real world, right? It's not some fantasy world. And so the idea is to represent kind of these characters and their stories and their adversity, right? And to help make us, the fan base, part of that process. And um, part of what's neat about fairies as fiction, if I can geek on this for a little bit, is Turns out that actually cultures and societies all around the world have deep history and lore and mythology around fairies or imps or elves, right? Like the idea of these small creatures, that is already there in lots and lots of literature and lore. And so between the fact that this is in uh, places all around the world, with history all around the world, with humanoid shapes and forms that can look like anyone we know is kind of the core to the fiction itself and the idea behind this fantasy. And 
That's sort of step one. Um, step two is you get to create this world and these characters, not just us. So we've started kind of rolling the ball downhill, if you think about it that way. Like we've created a backstory and a, uh, a motive force for the, the, the world to exist and why and where these came from. But uh, you will create the locations in the world that these characters show up in. You will create the fairies themselves. And you're going to do this with these sort of playful web app uh, experiences, right? You're not going to have to be an artist. This is not like a, uh, a work DAO, you know? This is like a, you come to a web app and you get a really playful, immersive experience and you get to contribute to this world. And when you do, right, step three is those contributions, uh, those additions to the Neo Fairies universe are NFTs and they're NFTs that you can mint and own directly. So when you place a location in the world to create a safe space for a fairy, that's kind of the first, um, that's the first part of the fiction is you got to create safe places with eakers. Eakers are little beacons that create safety in the, in the uh, Neo Fairies world for fairies to return. When you come to our experience right now, you place an eaker anywhere in the world, that eaker is a safe place for fairy to come back. You can then mint that safe space and own that safe space as an eaker. And then the next step and the next release will let you create a fairy. And the fairy will be created in a 3D environment where you can pick and choose lots of different attributes for your fairy. Uh, there'll be, uh, yeah, there'll be no shortage of options and I'll talk about the numbers in a second. Um, but same thing, right? You create that fairy, you create that character, you place it in the world, you now mint and own that fairy. And then as this roadmap builds out, um, you'll be telling stories about these fairies in this world and you'll be kind of uh, filling out the adventures kind of of this of this world together with the rest of your community members because you've got these building blocks of locations and characters and a world in which um, different kinds of motives and motivations will kind of pop up and drive this. So um, the last piece of this, and this is the key thing, is when you think about a project like this, you don't want 10,000 locations. You don't want 10,000 fairies, right? I mean, this, this is like, wh why would you... Imagine Roblox or, or Minecraft were like, hey, everybody, we got this great new world, but once you get to 10,000, you're going to have to go buy this from some hodler <laughs> for $200 and then maybe get financing to buy it from a hodler, right? I mean, that, so, so part of what we're trying to do is build these systems and build this NeoFairies project in a way where there's millions and then eventually tens of millions, hundreds of millions of possibilities, right? Because it's a creative space. You want to be fairly open-ended. So right now, if you go to our project, there's, I think, like 4.1 million spaces in the world. So there's no excuse not to have a space. And because it's a story world, it's about the story you tell around space, right? You don't have to have the metro metropolitan downtown center because somehow people think it's worth more. You know, all of Stranger Things is written about Hawkins, Indiana. Right. Hawkins doesn't even exist. Uh, and Indiana is a wonderful place. Uh, so that's kind of thing exists everywhere. It's all really about your personal storytelling. And same thing happens for the fairies. We'll probably have tens of millions. We have to figure out the number. So there's no shortage of options for how someone can enter, how someone can create, how someone can own something. And then like we we're talking earlier, that is just a matter of, uh, you know, what you do to make those characters and locations meaningful and valuable. Um, and what, what meaning they have to you. Um, and then all those, make you part of a DAO. It's the Neo Fairies DAO. Um, the moment you're an Eker holder, an Eker NFT holder today, 
Um, you have governance rights and participation in that DAO. Um, and some stuff we haven't talked about just yet uh, is giving the DAO the ability to hold the IP rights to NeoFairies. So the DAO is going to be more than just a group of people with NFTs. It'll also be a way for us to really have um, ownership of the IP uh, supported by and governance of that IP with the community in a very tangible way beyond just kind of, you know, either CCOing it or holding onto it as, as Luda ourselves. So if I understand it correctly, you are doing the Web3 practice of giving ownership of the whole ecosystem to everyone who contributes to it. But it sounds like it is, for now, impossible for me to invest and gain more ownership by putting in some money. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's a good good summary. I mean, I guess technically, technically you could, you know, go try to buy Eakers from other... Okay other creators who made them, you know, I, I mean, we certainly haven't engineered anything with this aim in mind, right? So there's, there's very limited numbers of eakers we've distributed. You have to do a lot to get one. You can only get one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess in theory, uh, in theory, once this thing rolls out, but then, you know, you get into a weird situation of, well, if you've got a, if you've got 10 million of these, um, are you going to create you know, hundreds of thousands, are you going to, so mm. th- th- that's a, there's a tokenomics discussion that's really, it's, it's really a good one, but it might take us down a rabbit hole where I just say dumb things uh, for a while, <laughs> because, because you do have to think about tokenomics very differently. Like, mm. I, you know, I don't, none of us want the NFTs in the system or the DAO to be worthless, right? That's not, that's not the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of, uh, we are optimizing for it being accessible, affordable, enjoyable first, right? Not financially speculative and economically, you know, uh, driven first. And so I think once you start from the person, everything I just shared with you is about making accessible, affordable, enjoyable. Now, once you've set those kind of flags in the ground, you kind of have to come back to the tokenomics question. And that's that's where, you know, the contrast is very easy to make. You know, NFT project with only 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 um, has a very clear path to creating as much demand for those limited supply as possible. That drives your price. And then that gives you, you know, some version of calculus as an investor. How do you want to participate in this thing? And what percentage do you want to engage in? And, you know, you can evaluate, like, how much do you believe in the roadmap behind this project or whatever mm-hmm. it is people say? Here, it's like, no, you got to come in and create something. And uh, and I think over time, maybe we come up with other ideas that do allow for the kind of investor audience to engage, but that's sort of cart before horse in our, our yeah. perspective. It's really fascinating. It sounds like the way you've built this is in such a way that um, because there's no limitations on the number of NFTs, Right now, if I was like, this VJ, I kind of like what he's doing. And I think this he might be onto something. If I'm going to buy all of the NFTs that you have, it's kind of like a weird investment because <laughs> you, you totally. buy a stake in the whole totally. thing, but there's yeah. still millions of them potentially to be created, which yeah. will almost be necessary to create the full value of this, exactly. this whole thing. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that is a feature, not a bug, Yeah, in my opinion, because... I want the owners and the creators and the holders of these things to be people who care about the IP, mm. not about the, the number on the IP, 
right? Which, which I don't know, maybe it's a controversial point. Like maybe, maybe you can't separate the two. And I totally, I can totally see why some of the magic of Web3 is that those things are kind of intertwined, you know? So I definitely don't want to come across as someone who's, you know, naive about like, that's the bent, that's, that's a perk of Web3 is the ownership part. I mean, we're, we're talking about that here. So yeah, I think finding out a way for, um, you know, just put on like the VC hat a little bit, like finding a way for the market to price the project that's kind of indirect from the NFTs themselves does feel like an important thing. And maybe that's where governance tokens, if you kind of redefine them, <laughs> if we can re- redefine governance tokens from being tokens you get for holding tokens, <laughs> you know, like if we can, if we yeah, can get yeah, yeah. to a slightly more, uh, if we get slightly more um, rigorous understanding of why governance tokens should exist, that might be an interesting way to separate the idea, the ideas here, right? Uh, and yeah. I, it, there's a uh, optimism. I think is that optimism has like a two house governance model. That's it's it's really kind of neat. They they've you know they're thinking about people are thinking about this model of there's the NFT holders and the participants in your ecosystem, and then there's like the governance tokens, and you have a relationship between the two, but you don't let one override the two, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's or override each other. So that starts to be like a very natural way to maybe think about how. You know, if you as an investor want to engage and you want to have a say, then there are tokens you can engage in that don't involve you. You know, if you want to, if you want to hold um, ten thousand acres, right? You don't have to come into the app and make ten thousand acres. You can engage in you know a neofarious DAO governance model that lets you have that in a in a different in a different kind of token and manifestation. And then you just have to find ways to balance you know, the voting and the, the participation of those two sides so that, um, you know, there's a bit of a, a check mouse, but I, th- I think there's some pretty cool models that people are already thinking hard about this on. So I, I don't necessarily have to invent this from scratch, but you, those are actually particularly important in this UGC context, because up until now, I think NFTs have been able to kind of conflate those two ways of engaging. Mm-hmm because they largely are still kind of speaking to a investment and speculation oriented endeavor. But once you separate that out, now, now you have the problem you're talking about, which is you do still want a value prop for the investors in the show. And that's good, right? Cause they will actually help validate um, and help lift and help create the resourcing to, you know, continue investing in and doing bigger and bigger things with this for this community. So so yeah, I think I think you need both, and I mean, I'd love it if you have any ideas on this. But this is this is me kind of giving you my my um, like very uh, amateur, you know, amateur thoughts on on how we might solve that. So first of all, VJ, we are all just figuring all of this shit out still. So yeah. you know, I, I guess you know, there's no right answer. Um, I, I think what you're doing because right now. Um, I think timing and having a good use for any token that you issue, um, like you will, you always need to have a, a good functional use case for whatever you do. And so, you know, this this brings us to a discussion which we can go into later about like issuing tokens to fundraise. But it seems like right now what you're building is or ne- like requires not necessarily funding, but more creation and creativeness. And so, 
the tokens that you have right now are NFTs that you mm -hmm. give to people and that you allow, mm -hmm. like, which give people the power to create, to actually mm -hmm. like start building this. And then maybe mm -hmm. at some point, once you reach this scale where it starts totally. making sense to use funds to accelerate it, um, totally. you know, yep. bring it out there, then, then it might make sense to start thinking about how, how do we, how do we actually do this? And, and at that point, I think, you know, a retroactive airdrop to the ones that contributed most, you know, totally. Yeah. Just makes more sense and aligns incentives in, in, a, in a more beautiful way. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Someone, someone, um, a couple of folks who I respect a lot had feedback that was, um, I want to see if I can capture this right, but it was like, it was, you know, it's like centralizing distribution at the start, you know, is not a bad thing. Like it, it's, it's, it's not a, like it gets to things like, how do you do, and you see this all over the board. Like, how do you do fair mints? How do you make sure you're more So there's, there's a, I, I think like, it's, it's nice to see like, and these, these folks come from, um, let's say the more purist side of the, of the, you know, blockchain and, and mm -hmm. web3 ecosystem. And so you, you're seeing, I think a lot of people starting to, to be more nuanced and where do you hold the decentralization? You know, wh where do you put like the dial on decentralization when it comes to practically building something important and big and, yeah. you know, curation and distribution of your earliest members and, um, mm -hmm. you know, leadership of a project in a DAO, you know, like just handing everyone the reins right off that. So, you know, that's, so it's evolution process, but it's good. I and mean, it feels like we're, we're opening up in the right directions to, yes. to make this work. We're, um, we're, we're speed running new ways of, of collaborating and, um, and mm -hmm. new financial systems to incentivize that collaboration. Yeah. It is really fascinating because last week, and you don't know this, but I had a discussion with some of the foundational builders within the loot ecosystem. Ah, so okay. loot was created a bit more than a year ago and yeah. You know, there's so many similarities between what loot or like what what the current loot is, right? Because the way they describe it is loot is a decentralized Disney or a decentralized Marvel. Yeah, it's building yeah. out a universe. Yeah, um, and but it's and and they struggle with this. It's it's way more decentralized than what you're do, doing. Yeah, and so it's really oh, interesting there's to see how there, this there, there's a soup. They were very inspiring to this. I mean, at the time that Shan and I left Google. Um, and started this, it was like spring, the fall, spring, the summer of, of last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we had kind of, I told you, kind of seen all of these signs kind of in the, the, the months and quarters prior, but loot kind of came out around the same time and just kind of reified this, right? So, so loot and board API club, right? They both mm -hmm. kind of put points on the map that mm -hmm. kind of validated that. Yeah. It's not just about NFTs for art. It's like, there's a bigger, larger thing you can do. And. I'd say we've kind of, um, we've taken more inspiration from loot than from say like the, the NFT PFP crowd because there's something beautiful about this composable, moddable, extendable world. Right. And, and so, but, but that was very much like the, you know, you always have the benefit of learning from, you know, what others kind of paved the way doing. Uh, there is definitely some, so there are more experiments to be done in the middle ground between wild open-ended um, decentralization to the point where your community has to literally like come up with and come mm -hmm. up with the ideas and write the code and mm -hmm. deploy software. Right. So that's one spectrum. The other spectrum is, you know, what we know, which is like, 
you go into a room for two, four, five years. This is what our team, this is what our team's world class at, right? Is you go into a room for two to three to five years and you create like a, a AAA game and a Hollywood movie or a, you know, uh, next generation machine learning model. So like where, where in the middle of that can you land and kind of get the best of both worlds? Like, can you actually get the, the creative direction and the vision and the execution of the world we know where people do this well and the, you know, the open-ended experimental op- uh, community ownership of the, you know, the wide open. So we've definitely fallen somewhere in between there very intentionally, but, you know, like, again, taking a bunch of inspiration from, from the, mm-hmm. um, the pioneers of the, the space. So you seem to have, like, you have thought about this a lot. Um, there's this concept of a Dunbar number, which is yeah. the maximum amount of people you can be friends with. Or like, yeah, connected what, to or maintain relationships with. I exactly. Think. Yeah, yeah. What is like, it, it, maybe, maybe they already exist, right? But what is the Dunbar numbers for, for, for a DAO? Oh, I have no clue. I mean, we have to, I, I can't, I can't speak to this intelligently because we are, we are still very tiny. You know, we've been very curated and very small with the folks we brought in. And, but then, um, but then I think we also treat a DAO very differently, uh, which I can talk about if that's that's useful. But um, it, it, it really depends on how you define these things, right? If you look at like a Minecraft or Roblox, there's a massive community of people there, but they don't necessarily have to serve Dunbar's. They're not limited by Dunbar's number because I don't need to. I don't need to maintain mm-hmm. relationships with the with the millions of people in the yeah, in yeah. the right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. In our in our world, right, the Neo Fairies DAO, we're kind of doing two things a little differently than a typical DAO. So on one hand, which I think more and more people are doing, is we are committed to more leadership early on. So we talk about ourselves and the kinds of DAOs that Luda makes as creator-led DAOs. And just being really clear and open right from the beginning with people that there is leadership and that comes with the goods and bads of leadership, right? And but that's the way we believe these types of things should exist. And so we talk about creator-led DAOs, and we've actually heard this from uh, like dozens and dozens of fan interviews and playtests. Right? The people want this. At least the people we're talking to want this. They they mm-hmm. want a creator that's driving that, and that's Luda. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, we are trying to reframe a DAO from being a thing you join and get paid to work at like the next kind of job to something you're part of by being part of the community of people using this product, right? So the moment you come to the Neo Fairies world and you make your first addition to that world by placing an eager, you're part of the DAO. There's no, there's no, you know, work proposal you have to make and there's no payment for your time and services. You've done the job of adding to this universe and therefore you to have you deserve to have a say. And so when you when you think about it that way, our DAO over time will have millions of people in it, right? Because anyone who's part of this community and contributes is part of the DAO. So from our perspective, right, when you ask the DAO question, it's like, well, I actually think every user in this collectively created sandbox game or story world and things we built, they should all be part of the DAO and they should all have a say in the governance of the future of the IP. Uh, but then the Dunbar number, I think, is just something that sort of like falls then in the cracks of 
well, is there like a subgroup of these people in the DAO that are really passionate about, you know, building a Neo Fairies comic book series? Okay, that's awesome. And that group probably needs to be 150 or less to be able to, you know, to work functionally. It needs to have a leader of some kind that's got the ability to drive that vision forward. And, um, you know, you see, you see that, uh, yeah, so you see that play out in that way, I think for us. But I, you know, yeah, I, I, when people talk about whether DAOs can scale human coordination, and, you know, I've even used that line, you know, in different kind of material. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> It's it's tricky. Like I think I I don't think you uh, I don't know if you can scale like the human condition, you know, and relationship management. But I, there's definitely mm-hmm. other parts of this that can be made quicker, easier, you know. And so that's probably more about less about stretching that number and more about making the way people can do this and they can do it in their free time, you know. Like they don't have to quit their day job. Mm-hmm. To, they don't have to quit their day job to engage in neo fairies. That that's kind of the um, that's what we're trying to help push. The thinking on is like you can be part of a DAO simply by enjoying the project you're part of, and you can contribute and participate simply by doing what you would have done in any other context, which is come home from your day job, right, or have some time on the weekend, and this is a story you want to keep track of, right? Not you got to quit, you got to join, and this is like your new life, and we're going to find ways to make these tokens worth something so you can get paid by them. It's like uh, maybe we get there, but that's just not the starting point. Mm-hmm. What do you think the current NFT landscape would look like if the supply of CryptoPunks was 100,000 instead of 10,000? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I have no clue. And I've heard so many theories about, I've heard different theories uh, or at least different kind of case studies people have cited to me. But I, you know, I, partly I'm not in that ecosystem, so I can't, I can't speak from a personal perspective, which makes mm-hmm. me uncomfortable, right? But mm. Uh, with this, with this, but like you, you, there might be differences between launching a hundred thousand versus launching ten thousand and then adding ninety thousand. Mm. Like that, that's that's an important thing, right? Mm. Um, and I, I don't know where the, you know, I think smarter people than me in this ecosystem might have like, you know, better theories about this or or at least references. But you know, Loot had a version of this. They made their first batch, and to Dom's credit, you know, he instantly turned around and wanted to create more for other people to engage right and synthetically mm-hmm. but um but that created a backlash you know of different kinds uh, or the market kind of effectively voted with its money to say like well these are the only ones that matter and so if, if that's going to happen anyway then did you really did you really expand your set in the in the way that you wanted now i think actually mm-hmm. for them in their case if they create um if they create products around their universe that are compelling, there are definitely people who just are going to want a free, a free loot NFT to be able to play anything, and they should, and that's wonderful. That's so I think it actually did the job. But when you ask the question of what would happen if CryptoPunks were a hundred thousand, not ten thousand, yeah, part of me is like, well, maybe they would have set a pattern that other people and the market would recognize is valuable, and then other people could do it. And that's mm-hmm. basically what happened, right? They set a pattern with exactly the first ten thousand. Yeah. Everyone followed it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if there's a physics to these things where like mm-hmm. you create scarcity and that's your core value prop. And then the physics of the system just kind of purge out, you know, anything that goes against that. Um, Counter example is it seems like Board Ape Dog Club and others have done a really good job finding kind of extensions, you know, so you have your your 10,000 board Apes and then you've got 
you know, all these other kind of variations, whether they're pets or extensions or transformations on the core set. And um, there's differentiation there, but they all have their relative standing in like the, you know, the uh, the canon of like the original set. And so th those types of, I think those types of playbooks have done probably more, a better job than even I give credit to on expanding the supply without kind of undermining the, you know, the core, the core early parts. But, um, but I think they're also fortunate to be able to do that and they could probably do a lot of things, you know, that are new and different because they have such a great community and so engaged. Most projects aren't doing that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and they never will. They'll, like, they'll never get there or they'll never choose to go there. And that's, you know, that, that stuff is definitely the, the vestige of like a pattern that was set once and, you know, everyone collapsed on it. As my final um, question to you, I'd, I'd love to, like, people know, know I do enjoy a hot take once in a while. And so, you know, it seems within the Web3 space, there is still so much to figure out that people see something that others have done. And they're ver like, people really like copying some of these things, which mm -hmm. is why I asked you the question, what if CryptoPunks were 100,000? Yeah. Would, like, the yeah. whole e ecosystem look different? Um, so... What I'd love for you is to to tell me, like, what do you think is, or what bugs you most about what people are doing around NFTs right now? Because you're, like, experimenting with them so much yeah. um, as, a, as, as you're helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force you to jump in on this one, too. But I, I mean, I think you, you, you and I both know we share this. I actually think... You know, I'll say I'll say the hot take thing, and then I'll be conciliatory. Like, I, I, I think the, the the absolute total obsession with uh, I'll say what the outcome is because I don't know where to pinpoint the blame. Honestly, the outcome is that a lot of these NFTs and a lot of these projects are entirely driven around scarcity, price action, flipping and trading in order to create royalty streams, and that kind of equation has just literally permeated everything everywhere and it has all kinds of these weird effects which uh you know when it gets like what bugs me it doesn't bug me that these projects exist i think people should do what they want i mean I, I, everyone from the consumer buying this stuff to the creators creating it everyone should do what they want and and um so, so that's not the issue but then i think the end result is it does drown out all of the noise like the thing that bugs me most is how much it crowds out the discussion about other ways to think about these things mm -hmm. that that's the thing that bugs me most because it's fine for them to exist um but now like every conversation in different contexts with a user with an investor with a uh partner with a employee candidate has to confront this question of the dominant model for an nft is a pfp of a pixelated thing that sometimes like, you know, is inversely correlated to what you think art should be, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and this thing trades for certain amounts of money and the only way you can get it is by winning a mint or participating in a lottery or buying something at an expensive price. And the way people engage around it and the way people talk about this stuff, you know, on Twitter. Um, even now, I'm still shocked like every every other tweet from, you know, some thinkfluencer on on Twitter is talking about how like we have to move past PFPs. The 10K PFP model is old. I've heard this for six months. For every one of those tweets, there's still like 99 tweets 
talking about how you got to believe in this next project because it's got this team with this roadmap and mm. can't be beat and floor sweeping. And so that is uh, th- that dynamic makes it very hard then to say, hey, maybe there's a different way to think about this NFT. And there is a different way to make it accessible to people. And mm-hmm. it goes a little against everything we're saying Web3 is for, which is to bring people in, to give them ownership of something, to make it inclusive to the world. And how are you going to do that with 10,000 things that cost hundreds or thousands of dollars, you know, uh, and and to do that in the community and culture of like, you know, random pixelated things that feel extremely offensive in some cases to different audiences. So that's what bugs me. Um, the, the conciliatory part of this is like, well, fact is we had to start somewhere. Like if these projects all didn't do what they did, we would not be having a conversation about how NFTs could be more than that. And they've kind of established mm-hmm. a pattern. You got to give them credit for that for sure. I actually think the PFP concept is strong in its nature, you know, like the idea of identity and avatars for ourselves. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and and the idea of communities having a small group of people that can get excited about a thing. So it goes kind of the conversation we had earlier, which is it's more like a thing that always happens, which is something works. And then people stretch that thing way outside of what it's meant for. Uh, And I, it maybe is one of those things that feels magnified to me being a, operator in it or it might be magnified in terms of its noise and its um clutter like cutting through the noise because money's involved and as soon as money gets involved in anything it like blows up something that was already hard to talk about you know um so yeah yeah it's just gotta give credit where credit's due but uh it's time to yeah. move on yeah it's 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 been time to move on and i think like the one thing if anyone cares you know, about this in this ecosystem. I, I've, the one ask of even everybody who has a megaphone, because I don't have a megaphone. I'm like, I'm a rando, you know, I'm just kind of working on this company and no <laughs> one's like, no one cares what I've got to say. But if you've got a megaphone, the number one thing you can do is to like down boost yet another conversation about how, you know, a limited project is going to become next big thing and, People should mint it and then up boost like the weird experimental new things that show people these other things. So, you know, I just see way too much discussion about how we need to move past it and way too little showing people what those projects Mm. are and pointing at them, you know, or responding to messages where people are sharing. You go to some of these comment threads and some people are like, hey, check out this project. And they're awesome projects. They're the really creative, interesting new things doing stuff like, you know, you know, not to compliment ourselves, but they're doing stuff like what we're talking about, build your own NFTs, right? Mm-hmm. Create your own things. They're free mints. But, um, but those don't get, you know, signal boosted. Like what gets signal boosted is like the hot take that we need to move past the thing we're doing. And mm. so, so I think that's like that for me is a, a very precious resource. If you've got a megaphone to try to, to get everyone else seeing these new things and then yeah you know then there's other stuff we can do like supporting these projects and getting involved and all that but um, mm-hmm. i don't know though I, i'm super curious to get your take you've got you know you've got a a good vantage point on this and if you if you think there's like what are the pressure points that get us to the other side is it just time you know is it a breakout for one project or another that kind of gets gets people thinking differently I and mean, we've already had loot you know and others that have done a nice job doing the right thing in terms of free minting and making more supply available. But um, yeah, I don't know. So what I'm going to do is 
I'm going to organize a, a jam session, a public jam session like this, and we can get maybe one or two others on as well, and we can just yeah, like, that'd be awesome. try, to, try to think about creative ways in which we can use this, these new technologies, NFTs, fungible tokens, to do cool shit, right? Um, I have some ideas. Um, I think, and I've said this already, we're using NFTs skeuomorphically, and so I can, I can make that case then, and then we can, we can jam about that. Um, yeah. But you talked about people you know, having a, a megaphone and uh, boosting conversations about new ways to doing this. If you enjoyed this conversation, listener, this, this is perfect for me. Just like this. You, know, you don't have to use a megaphone. Just retweet, you know, like this conversation, subscribe on YouTube. That's the first step. Um, and then you know, you'll be... Um, like we'll let you know when we have this discussion um, where we go into some some use cases because we're we're getting to the end of this episode, but uh, this, I think this is definitely a conversation worth having, um, and I'm, I'm super excited yeah, to do that. I love it. So, um, VJ, um, where where can people find more about you, uh, more about Luda? Yeah, great. Uh, me, I'm at uh, at VJS Sundaram. Uh, which is not going to be easy for anyone to spell. So I'll say It'll just be in go the description. <laughs> so yeah, you find me gotcha. on Twitter there, um, but uh, also like happy to field emails from people. So it's vj at ludaprojects.com. Uh, ludaprojects.com is where you can learn a little bit more about our company and um, projects and team. And uh, we are definitely hiring right now uh, across the board, but particularly engineering talent of all all flavors. Um, so there, if you want to check out a bit more about our roles, you can go to careers.lutaprojects.com. And then uh, the other thing I'd have to say is if you're interested at all in what we talked about with Neo Fairies or uh, what a project like this uh, could look like or being part of an entertainment DAO, uh, check out neofairies.com. And, uh, and you can kind of join today through our Discord and uh, find your way to the world we've built and play sneaker and have an NFT that you create on your own from scratch and uh, be part of the DAO. So uh, any of those things, I'm happy to uh, chat with people about on Discord or uh, on email or wherever else people want to find me. Fantastic. VJ, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. This is awesome. I agree. It was, uh, it was very interesting and I'm inspired to start thinking about new, new cool ways to use NFTs and all of this stuff. So um, thanks for that. Um, listener, thank you for listening. If you made it here, um, really appreciate it. If you did like it, please um, give us a thumbs up in Spotify or wherever you're listening or watching this. And yeah, uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode.